The content of the Mind Body Medic podcast is based on medical fact and evidence-based practice from credible, authoritative sources. The purpose is to help clinicians grow in their profession and improve their clinical practice. The content is not a substitute for your institution's policies, procedures, common sense, or good judgment. The views and opinions are those of Chris Meeks and the Mind Body Medic podcast in their entirety. You are locked in. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Body Medic podcast. Here's your host, Chris Meeks. everybody welcome back to mind body medic thank you so much to fire dog productions for that amazing new intro really love their work well i hope you haven't missed me too much i have been on a short hiatus getting back into the swing of being in school and being a full-time student as well as a full-time employee of multiple companies so thank you for your patience i hope you didn't miss me too much today i want to talk to you about postpartum hemorrhage. I want to get right into this because we have a lot to talk about, but I want to quote my good friend Ali LeDuc real quick getting into it. Ali LeDuc always says, and she's given several talks about this and she talks to me about it all the time. She says, pregnancy is just science and it's not that scary. You just got to pay attention. And I couldn't agree with that more. I think pregnancy is something that we all tend to view way too often as something that doesn't happen to us very often, something we don't see in the field very often, or something that's very natural and straightforward and should be fairly simple. And I hear the phrase, women delivered babies in barns for hundreds of thousands of years without problems, so why should I be stressed out about it today? And predominantly, that's true. Women are designed to carry babies, but we are employed we are tasked with being the right people in the times where delivering a baby isn't so straightforward and things don't go so well so let's kick this off with a case presentation you're called to a rural hospital for a 32 year old female gravita 4 para 2 so she's been pregnant four times this being her fourth and she's had two successful deliveries she's delivered at full term at a rural facility she has no known complications not known to be high risk She's had no reported concerns throughout her pregnancy. Immediately following delivery of a healthy baby boy, the patient developed significant hemorrhage and signs of shock. You are tasked to transport this patient one hour to a definitive care facility, which does have surgical abilities. Now a couple things straight off the bat. This patient's high gravid level makes her high risk for hemorrhage, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But... Also listen to the destination. You have a patient with significant hemorrhage. We need to have in the back of our mind that our transport destination needs to have available surgical abilities. If we cannot address this patient's hemorrhage through medications or direct massage, which we'll talk about, then this patient may require surgery. So we don't want to add to this patient's time to care or definitive care by transporting to an inappropriate facility. So what are you picturing in your head when you hear this case? If you're me, you're hearing, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, because I get a little bit nervous when it comes to pregnant women or immediate postpartum women. A couple operational and logistical things we have to think about is what's happening with the infant. What happened with the infant? Was there direct skin-to-skin contact immediately following the delivery? Is the infant in good health? 
Are there any concerns? Was the delivery normal? Was it C-section? Was it vaginal? Was the child breech or normal? So, to answer these questions, the child was born vaginally, head down, uh, no known complications, was given two minutes of skin-to-skin contact with the mother before the mother's condition deteriorated and was has since been taken to the nursery and is under care of nurses and physicians there. So if you're me, the first thing you do whenever you enter a room, especially in a case like this, is you address the mother. You walk in, you have your face-to-face conversation, you listen to the report, you do your quick head-to-toe assessment, which is a really key phase, is the introduction and getting the monitoring, the monitoring equipment on and getting that history. Because while you're listening to them talk and while you're introducing yourself, your hands are busy. Hands are busy putting on the monitor, doing a visual assessment, pulling back blankets, building rapport, getting electrodes on, verifying IV placement. And all these are really important things that need to happen simultaneously and happen quickly. We want that monitor on because we want to be able to get a full clinical picture. While they're probably on the hospital's monitor, if this patient needs to be transported rapidly, not only is this giving us our clinical picture that we are used to and giving us that data in a format that we're familiar with, but we're also taking one positive step towards moving this patient to definitive care. The conversation builds rapport because this is going to be a sensitive transport. If you're a male provider, a a two-male crew, this becomes even more important because we all know that this may become a very personal experience for this patient. And we need to have that rapport and that status of comfort with them to make sure that we can do our jobs to the best of our ability without providing or creating an uncomfortable environment. So take a second to build that rapport. Verify those IVs while you're doing it. Obtain that history. Do all these things simultaneously. Once you've identified that, yes, this is an ongoing significant hemorrhage, yes, this is a patient that needs to be transported rapidly, we need to determine the cause of this postpartum hemorrhage. So we're going to pause right here. What are the causes of postpartum hemorrhage? Well, there's the four T's, tone, trauma, tissue, and thrombin. What is tone? Tone is, can be uterine atony or a boggy fundus, as you may hear it referred to. It's, it's a, often caused by an excessive stretching from, uh, it could be from multiple pregnancies, it could be from twins or triplets or quadruplets, what have you. Uh, it could be from an abnormally large fetal development. It can also just be from uh, labor fatigue. The muscles of the uterus are fatigued from contracting and laboring for many, many hours. But you can also be at high risk for this poor uterine tone if you've been diagnosed with things like eclampsia, preeclampsia in your early setting. What if the mother had received smooth muscle relaxants prior to delivering the baby? So if this had been a premature delivery that they'd been trying to prevent, did the mom receive things like magnesium sulfate? Can we consider reversing those? So that's tone. Tone is a boggy fundus or uterine atony. Then we have trauma, and this is where your visual assessment comes into play. You can have both external and internal trauma, but if we see external hemorrhaging, visible lacerations, uh, things like large appeasements, can we apply direct pressure to those external wounds and slow the bleeding? Now, we have to keep in mind that just because we've stopped or addressed external bleeding, there's still a high risk for internal bleeding with these patients. It could be vaginal canal or birth canal injuries all the way up to placental hemorrhage or uterine damage from delivery of the placenta. The next cause in, the, in your four T's is tissue. 
retained placental parts or failure to completely detach the placenta. There are several conditions that can cause the placenta to kind of mold or bind to the uterine wall. And when that happens, the area around that placental binding, the area of the uterus that was separated but next to the parts of attached or retained tissue, uh, it doesn't tension like it should. And it's important to understand that when the placenta separates from the uterus, there's that uterine contraction that takes place. It creates that hard, firm fundus that we're familiar with in normal delivery, that, that fundal massage, that, that rocky spot that we're able to massage to reduce bleeding. If those parts are retained, the uterus is not able to completely contract. And as that placenta separates from the uterus, there's these, that contraction squeezes and clamps the arteries, which provided the blood supply. And that bleeds, that area bleeds at 600 mils an hour. So this happens very, very quickly. A postpartum hemorrhage from retained tissue or from a, from a boggy fundus trauma or retained tissue, if it is the uterus that is bleeding, as or especially as a result of failure to detach the placenta, it's a very fast and aggressive hemorrhage that has to be dealt with quickly. So we need to evaluate the patient for those risk factors and evaluate uh, that patient's presentation. And lastly, there's thrombin or failure to clot. Uh, this is usually something that comes with uh, if they had like, you know, placental abruption, placental previa, and they've had a prolonged hemorrhage and they are developing DIC, or if the patient's had uh, a eclamptic state prior to delivery and it's just high risk for uterine hemorrhage as well as a clotting disorder or a DIC. The way that we can evaluate for that is to obtain a red top tube, if one's available, you can just use a syringe, and visualize whether or not that blood clots within the six to eight minutes. That's going to kind of give us an idea if this patient does have a uh, clotting disorder. So we've identified which of the four T's our patient falls into, the tone, trauma, tissue, or thrombin. So now we have to make an immediate decision. Well, early in your assessment, you should be palpating that lower abdomen, feeling for the status of the fundus. If you don't feel a fist size or a baseball size rock in their low abdomen, then what you have is a boggy fundus or uterine atony. And you need to begin aggressive massage. Place your fist directly on it, that rocking motion. You're probably taught that in paramedic school, but if you won't, if you weren't, just visualize with me. Place your fist of your right hand against the fist of your left hand and just rock the two together. And that's about what you need to do. Good, strong, firm pressure. It's not comfortable for the mother, so you need to be focusing on a lot of communication throughout this. You know, you may not necessarily be able to give pain control if the mother's in shock, but uh, they've been through worse in the last 45 minutes, I'm going to tell you that. So just communicate with them about what you're doing and explain to them that it's the right thing for them and that you're not intentionally harming them or hurting them. Now, after three to five minutes of massaging the fundus, if you have not felt it firm and you haven't seen a resolution of that active hemorrhage or at least a decrease, you need to consider going with medications. Now, this is a step that we need to be fairly aggressive with, but hold into a high regard or high respect, recognizing that it's not a benign decision, meaning that there are negative side effects from stepping into the use of medication. But we need to put maternal health and safety first. So the first medication that we're going to be pulling out of our box is Pitocin. Now, Pitocin is a really, really interesting drug because it is the synthetic form of oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is... Uh, 
predominantly known throughout the civilian world, world as, as the love drug. It's as our, our love home hormone that generates compassion and emotion and relation, um, and it is often associated with sex for both genders. But in the role of pregnancy, it's one of the hormones that the body uses to stimulate uterine contraction. Uh, it, bind, it binds to the receptors along the endometrium and increases the intrauterine cellular calcium levels and kind of makes a firm contraction of that uterus and begins moving the child through the cervix into the birth canal and into the world. So it's a really fascinating drug because drugs it does or hormone because it does so many things. But that synthetic version, Pitocin, is often despised by new moms because of the torture that it puts them through whenever they are either induced or into a postpartum hemorrhage situation. So what are we going to do with that Pitocin? Let's talk about how it works. Now, oxytocin is released from the posterior pituitary gland and communicates with the endometrium of the uterus. It communicates with a lot of other things, but that's what we're talking about right now, the intrauterine cellular area. What this does is through a protein process, it stimulates the shifting of extracellular calcium into the intracellular space of the uterus. Now, these high calcium levels are going to trigger intense muscle contractions. Now, why is that good for us? Well, if we're looking at uterine atony or boggy fundus, this uterus has failed to contract up, which means that we're not pinching off those placental arteries of the uterus, and we're, we're not we're not stopping that hemorrhage. So we're going to give Pitocin, and we're going to give that at a dose of 20 to 40 milliunits a minute. Now, the way I mix my oxytocin or my Pitocin is 20 units into a 1,000 ml bag of normal saline or lactated ringers, either one, and then I run that at 60 to 120 mils an hour, which is 20 to 40 milliunits a minute. If you have no IV access, the mother's in shock, you can't get one, whatever the problem is, you can also give oxytocin IM or Pitocin IM. That's 10 units. So you're going to give a 10-unit push into a large muscle. Now you want to pick a large muscle. Don't go in the delt, go in the leg or the buttocks, and make sure that there's lots of good blood flow to that area so the mom can begin to absorb it quickly. Now, just like when we're giving doing the fundal massage, which we want to continue doing while we're getting the Pitocin out and giving the Pitocin, it's going to come with some pain and some cramping. Now, if you're a, a woman who's ever been induced and gotten IV Pitocin uh, before, then you're very well aware of the discomfort that this uh, Pitocin can cause. So as we shift that potassium in that into, into the cells, of the uterus and those muscles draw up, we should feel a rock formation or a baseball-sized mass begin to form in the patient's low abdomen. If after three to five minutes of beginning your Pitocin administration, you don't see this, that's an indication that it's time to titrate up your infusion. And like I said, we're giving this medication at 20 to 40 milliunits. So start at 20, but if, if after several minutes you haven't seen that improvement, increase your flow rate. Now, if you're at a rural hospital, as we are in this situation, and Pitocin's not cutting it, you're doing your fundal massage, and you still have this significant uterine atony or internal hemorrhage that's taking place, we can ask for methogen. Methogen acts a lot like Pitocin. However, it not only produces uterine contraction and duration of contractions through a very similar process as shifting the 
potassium into this, or excuse me, the calcium into the cell, but also creates uterine vasoconstriction. Now, if we're going to give methogen, we want to give it early. Choosing to wait to give these medications, both Pitocin and methogen, is the equivalent of saying, okay, your arm's cut off and you have a large arterial bleed, but I'm going to wait to put your tourniquet on because I'm just not sure about it. It comes to a pretty black and white point here, guys. What, what we're dealing with is an active arterial bleed inside the body, and it's manifesting itself physically. So if it's to the point where this patient is in shock and needs emergency transport, your threshold for the decision to give Pitocin and Methogen needs to be very low. It's going to come with some discomfort and some side effects. But if it's my wife laying in the bed, I would rather deal with some discomfort and side effects than my wife bleed to death. And so be aggressive. Don't wait. Don't let them bleed out and tell you that they need the methogen and the Pitocin. Be ahead of the eight ball. Watch those vital signs. These are trauma patients. These are massive hemorrhage patients. We have to manage them as such. These are not patients that need two, four, and six liters of normal saline that's at room temperature because those patients are going to develop DIC and other coagulopathies just like your trauma patients are going to develop them. So we need to manage them like traumas. So if you've given Pitocin, which is 0.2 milligrams IV every two to four hours, by the way, it's very simple to give, 0.2 milligrams IM or IV every two to four hours. If you've given your methogen and you've given your Pitocin and you've done your uterine massage and you've continued to do your fundus massage and the, and the you still have signs of uterine atony or they're still significantly hemorrhaging, we either we have several one of several things going on. Either this is a trauma or a thrombin issue. If it's tone or a tissue problem, then what we've done so far should have reduced that. But if it's a trauma or a coagulopathy, then we may not be able to provide the direct pressure or the medications to stop that bleeding. Now, the methogen should help, and the Pitocin should help, but it's not going to stop that bleeding. This patient needs surgery. And so what do we do now? We're still one hour away, hopefully not quite that far away at this point, but potentially one hour away from our receiving facility and probably an hour and 20 minutes or hour and 30 minutes from surgery. So how are we going to keep these patients alive? What are we going to do for them? Well, I want you to take your brain from pregnant to trauma. This is now a hypovolemic shock patient who is hemorrhaging. Give them blood. Packed red blood cells, whole blood if you can, give them blood products. Resuscitate them aggressively. If they have the sustained tachycardia, hypotension, MAP less than 65, they're pale, they have delayed cap refill, give them blood. Replace what they have lost. Ensure adequate oxygenation. Keep the blood flowing to the brain. Now here's something that we tend to forget about. That posterior pituitary gland, if we don't have good cerebral perfusion, it becomes ischemic. And it doesn't have the ability to re release, create and release the pitocin and the ox oh, excuse me, the oxytocin uh, that our body needs to, to contract the uterus and stop its own bleeding. And so if they are bleeding from um, tone or tissue and they're hypovolemic and they're not oxygenating, then we're just worsening the problem. So we can't forget about the resuscitation factor of these patients. Now, the, the data on TXA is very dynamic right now, so I'm going to tell you to refer to your own protocol. But what I will say is if you have a suspicion that this patient's going to require massive 
blood product transfusion. So a mass transfusion of some kind, more than two to four units of uh, packed red blood cells or whole blood. I want you to consider TXA. I want you to really think about how this patient plays into the trauma picture. Additionally, if you're giving multiple units of packed red blood cells, these patients are very calcium dependent. You need to be giving calcium. You need to be giving either calcium chloride or calcium gluconate to counteract the calcium citrate in the blood products. Now, for those of you who don't get to carry blood all, all the time, a lot of our blood products are suspended in calcium citrate, which deionizes the calcium in our body and basically makes us hypocalcemic. So as you can imagine, this pitocin and this methogen is relying upon the intracellular shift of calcium to contract and create the pressure in, within the uterus to stop the bleed that we need. But if we're giving significant volumes of blood products, then we are washing out or effectively removing our ability for the pitocin and the methogen to do their job. So keep that in mind. If we're giving lots of blood products, please be giving calcium. Consider TXA. So go, let's go back to our patient. We had a 32-year-old female had significant gravitas. She G4P2. She delivered it full term. We don't know the patient's weight. Normal delivery until the patient started bleeding. So we talked about all these things, this uh, fundal massage, Pitocin, Methogen, blood, TXA, uh, you know, doing our external and visual assessment, drawing a red top, uh, top tube to evaluate for coagulopathies, making sure we had IVs and our monitor on. It's really important that we don't make this timeline too long. Things need to be happening very quickly. We have to continue these patients towards the trauma center. Now, it's really important that we do all these things, but just like a trauma patient, we don't want to sit there and just let them hemorrhage. While you're doing these assessments, while you're doing these skills, make sure that you are beginning your fundus massage, thinking through your Pitocin administration, having these conversations with your partner, asking the sending facility for methogen, considering blood, doing all these resuscitative measures, just like we were in a trauma, because we don't have time. These people are bleeding out at a very significant rate. And so while we don't need to be afraid of it, we need to be very sensitive to the severity of these, of these, of these situations, of these patients. And lastly, we have to remember that these women are going through a lot. Not only did they just go through the miracle of life and deliver a child, but it's now become a traumatic experience. They don't have the child in their arms. They're not getting to have the normal human interaction of holding their baby and their, and their baby's father being right there with them. They're not getting to have that normal experience, and it's very painful and difficult but they're also now a sick patient. They're not just a mother delivering a child anymore. They're now dying. They're now in danger. And we have to remember the human side of what we're doing. Paramedics and nurses, especially in the pre-hospital setting, are really incredible at doing the hard things in hard environments. But what some of us forget, myself included in this, is that we can get so zeroed in on the procedures and the medicine that we forget about the human side. We forget about our bedside manner. And that doesn't make us bad clinicians. 
But sometimes we can get disconnected from our patients, and that becomes detrimental, especially in these cases of pregnancy where we're getting so personal with our patients and we're having we're involved in such an intimate and pain, hopefully joyful but potentially painful period of their life. And we forget that these they're, that they're humans, that that these are people with you know a husband, kids, a wife, a you know families back home. We we forget to make that connection. And we lose a part of that situation. We lose some ground with them. And so that bedside manner, that eye contact, that communication, the, the ma'am, this is going to hurt. I'm really sorry, but let me tell you what I'm doing. This is why it's important. And, you know, asking questions about the baby and just genuine, creating genuine conversation during this really painful and difficult time. Because these are human beings. These are people going through a, an, a remarkably emotional time period. And don't forget the other party. It's really important to me, if I was in this facility, if I was the, the father to this child, the husband to this woman, the significant other to the person that just delivered a child, I would want to be kept in that loop. So if you're not doing this already, consider getting a phone number for the for the other party involved if they're not coming in the aircraft with you or in the ambulance with you and call them and give them updates whenever you're available. If you're busy resuscitating, you can put it off. But when you get to the hospital and, and the fog is cleared, call them and let them know how it went. And don't just tell them, hey, we did X, we did Y, we did Z, they made it to the hospital, they're in with the doctors now, end of conversation. Let them know what you talked about. Engage with them on a human level. Hey, you know, we transported Mrs. Smith to the hospital. She did great. We had a few complications. Here's what we did. She really liked telling me about baby Jane. Baby Jane is your first child, right? And have these conversations with these human beings and connect with them. You are now a big part of a really intimate family moment for them. So take that job seriously. With that, this is just science. These are just patients. Do not fear them. Keep your thresholds low and do the best you can for as many people as you can. You've been listening to the Mind Body Medic Podcast, a proud member of the Flybridge Ed Podcast Network and a Fire Dog Production. For more information, visit mindbodymedic.com. Mind Body Medic.